Welcome to another episode of the Rosen Podcast. I'm Chloe, your host, and this week on the podcast we've got an interview with Ivor Bowditch all about China clay and another recipe, yes, another recipe, from Tregony's Jenny Deal, this time for Crustade. Um, if this is the first episode you're listening to, you've now got quite a big old back catalogue that you can go back and, and listen to as well. And you'll find all of that at rosenpodcast.com or on Apple Podcast. You can search for Rosen Podcast and subscribe to us on Spotify. You can search for Rosen Podcast and subscribe to us. And we should be on pretty much every single other podcast app. We're not on BBC Sounds because we're not a BBC programme. But other than that, you should be able to find us. And if you can't, uh, do do drop us an email, rosenpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll do my best to make sure we're appearing because we should be everywhere. At rosenpodcast.com, you will also find links to any resources we mention in the show. So it's nice and easy to, to click. You don't need pen and paper ready. You can just go to that page and um, and click the links. Well, it's always nice to get a pro- proper, popular Rosen character on the show. And this week, we've got Ivor Bowditch. Hello, Ivor. Hello, Chloe. It's... Great to have you on the podcast because I know many of the people who tune in will will know of you and they will have you in their heads inextricably linked with the world of China clay. But I think what a lot of us don't realise is how much of an impact China clay, which feels quite a long way away from the Rosent, has actually had on on the peninsula over the years. So, um, so can you can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yes. Well, my uh, first years in China clay uh, were spent as a production trainee, and uh, living in Tregony, I very soon realized that I needed to establish a lift uh, to Trevisco, which was my first place of work. And uh, I didn't pass my driving test until almost a year after I started work uh, with, as it was then known, ECLP. And so I had the option of riding in with uh, two uh, local guys, um, Bill Wheeler um, and um, Dave Rule, who both worked on the engineering side. And we had many of our tradesmen from Tregony, uh, carpenters, masons, etc. But the person I chose, and some people would say, well, that's not surprising, happened to be the local landlord of the King's Arms <laughs> in Tregony, Owen Timon. And uh, Owen, in fact, was driving a heavy plant, uh, dump trucks and loading shovels, depending on the job. And uh, that was my first uh, free ride uh, up to China Clays. Uh, I was, at the time, just 17, and uh, I had to uh, really sort of wait a a little longer to get my driving test sorted out. And as soon as I did that... uh, I've been uh, driving to and from the Roseland over many years uh, to China Clays. But China Clays were very good to me in many ways because I also saw a lot of the world, uh, most of Europe, and a fair amount of the United States. So uh, it's been an interesting time. The Roseland and China Clay and the world all linked. Because you, you started you start as a production tech, but you, how quickly did you get into to more of kind of the marketing than the PR side of things? It was probably, um, I remarkably, I think, when I look back now, uh, at the age of 20, and I was only looking at the uh, letter of confirmation of my appointment, I was uh, appointed uh, as a a shift captain. Now, a lot of people in Cornwall will know the term captain really is a supervisory manager, 
uh, in a mine or a clay work. And uh, at the age of 20, I was appointed, and uh, I remarkably had a shift of 51 people reporting wow. to me. I was very much the junior, and uh, they were in every sense more knowledgeable than, than I was. Uh, but I learned so much from those uh, great friends. Uh, sadly, uh, not so many still around today, but uh, I really did take to heart everything I was told. And with minor exception, they never let me down. And that's quite something as a as a twenty year old suddenly be in charge of of so many people. Actually, I mean, I think even now I'd find that slightly overwhelming to have fifty one people I was I was responsible for. But um, but to also be, you know, in in such a physical environment as well. I think it's one thing to do that in an office environment, but another to do that in a in a physical environment. So that that must have been quite quite an interesting learning curve. It, for me, was the best possible experience I could have because uh, when uh, in the 1970s, uh, whether my ability to uh, talk, which uh, a lot of people will say, yeah, you can do that well, particularly over a pint of proper job, uh, but whether that ability to communicate uh, was uh, realized, but I started to uh, certainly be contacted by my colleagues in the marketing department, and um, I think I was sort of on their checklist of people uh, who can explain, uh, hopefully, in you know, uh, simple terms, uh, the process to people who weren't necessarily uh, engineers or chemists. And uh, I often used to put down. Uh, I, I had a number of sort of steps in my career with China Glaze that. I, I felt in many ways that uh, although I joined as a production uh, trainee, hopefully going into a career in production management, I soon, within five years, was dealing with as many issues uh, on the marketing side, uh, which I absolutely delighted in doing. And uh, then before I, I became what was basically the communications manager for uh, English China Clays, uh, I had already had a spell in our personnel department, or human resources, as they like to call it today, uh, as a, a management training advisor. So um, I, I, I did have a remarkable sort of upbringing in my early days, which involved production, uh, human resources, and marketing. You know, what, what better combination uh, than those three uh, to have an overview uh, of, of this wonderful company? It's kind of kind of like a graduate training scheme that we'd have these days, but by accident, I suppose. Yes, and I, I have to, uh, I think, pay tribute to uh, a very enlightened management at uh, English China Clays. Um, they certainly were very, very clear in recognizing uh, talent, and uh, many people started as I did in uh, you know, a fairly humble role. Uh, I, I had no idea, for example, I would be appointed at an early age as a mine captain. Um, but we were going through an extraordinary period uh, of growth. And uh, my early days, again, certainly for almost the, um, the first two decades, were one of continuing growth. And it wasn't just China clay. I mean, everyone in Cornwall will know of China Clay because of its uh, prominence on the local landscape. Um, but ECC were extremely successful 
uh, as a producer of building materials, aggregates, concrete products, uh, roadstone, etc. We also were a major house builder at one time, the 12th largest in the United Kingdom, and we ran a huge engineering department. I mean, it's hard to believe that we actually employed uh, almost 1,500 people and had our own foundry, our own machine shops, did all our own electrical rewinds, a quite remarkable company. Because yes, these days, if you were you know, going to, to set up such a business, you'd outsource huge amounts of that to other people. You, you wouldn't even occur to you to create your own foundry. It's quite, a, quite a, a mind-boggling idea of a company these days. Yes. Uh, I mean, as a matter of just interest uh, to, to show how you know, things have changed in terms of value, we actually acquired Charlestown Engineering uh, in the mid-1930s for the grand sum of £900. And uh, when we eventually sold that business uh, much later in the uh, uh, 20th century, uh, really as we started to rationalize and sort of specialize on our core business, which was minerals, um, we were employing uh, over 200 people at Charlestown and developed uh, pumps used in the mining and quarrying industry to this day and now manufactured by an overseas manufacturer. Uh, those pumps developed in Cornwall are still being used all over the world, just as one example. It's, it's, it's easy just to think of China Clay as being the, uh, you know, the, the Alps that we see over in the Sunorstal direction, but actually it's had a much bigger impact on Cornwall um, and, and industry and mining in general than, than we might think. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I was uh, very lucky uh, to have had part of my studies at, at Camborne School of Mines, and there is no finer example than uh, Camborne School of Mines, which is now, of course, part of Exeter University. And the, the expression, wherever you go in the world and you find a hole, you will probably find a Cornishman in it, is very true. If not a Cornishman born and bred, certainly uh, probably someone who has come to Cornwall and done the professional training as a mining engineer or a mineral processor at Camborne School of Mines. And uh, English China Clays have always had a very, very strong link, and uh, Imaris, uh, as they are now known to this day, still have a very strong, a strong link with the Camborne School of Mines. And, Ivor, over the, the many, many years you, you spent working at China Clay, what's, the, what's the, the thing which most surprised you during that journey or, or most, um, you know, the most astounding thing? Because we've we spoken about some pretty big things already today, but, but is there anything which really sticks in your mind as something which it's just phenomenal to think that the, that the business achieved it? I think the uh, degree of uh, technical uh, ability uh, which in, in every sense, from a, a practical point of view, uh, as mentioned, you know, developing uh, very high-duty uh, uh, pumps for use in the mining industry, which still is, is carried on today, uh, the, the same designs that ECC were developing uh, in the 1970s and 80s, uh, but also the, the very great uh, wealth of knowledge that we, in fact, obtained uh, over probably a period of over 50 years of using research as a key tool in the development of the company. And I think that uh, when uh, English China Clays unfortunately went through a difficult trading period in the 1990s and we were eventually taken over uh, by the, the global French mineral producer Emeris, 
uh, one of the great prizes that they were certainly keen to uh, to be using was the research and development facility, which to this day, based at St. Austell, uh, office, uh, offers services uh, to Imeris globally uh, on a whole range of minerals. And whereby, of course, we knew a huge amount about minerals, we didn't necessarily get involved in their production. We were producing around half a dozen different minerals when we were taken over in 1999, uh, but Imeris are now producing around 40 and uh, are clearly the world's largest producer of uh, non-metals uh, as far as the mineral industry is concerned. Wow. Um, so the, there's a lot more than China clay coming out of those, those pits in Snorstal then? Oh, a tremendous amount. I mean, uh, another and a rather sad example is uh, here we are in the middle of the, uh, the pandemic, uh, hopefully beginning to show some signs of our way out. Uh, but uh, the China clay industry provides uh, products for a whole range of other industries. And uh, one of the things which, in fact, is, uh, is in fact uh, flourishing in these very difficult times is the use of paper. Now, uh, emeris produce uh, pigments, both China clay and calcium carbonates, which are used globally in the manufacturing of paper. So one of our products is finding an increase in use during these difficult times. Another very important uh, aspect is we, we produce minerals uh, used in the manufacturing of things like uh, plastics and rubber. And again, in these challenging times medically, uh, we've seen an increase in demand for our products, which are going into uh, PPE, uh, personal private uh, protection. Wow. Well, I've, uh, I think I say this in every single episode, but I have again learned a lot. So I'm hoping the audience will have enjoyed it too. So thank you so much for, for, um, for joining us on the show. It's much appreciated. Well, I would be very happy to, uh, to talk again, and uh, I can talk from afraid far too many hours. So uh, <laughs> I'll see you again. I suspect we will have you back on again. Cheers, Ivor. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, if you'd like to know more about what went on over the years at ECC and Emory's, then do check out another interview Ivor did with artist Richard Wentworth. That's over on YouTube. We've put a link to it in the show notes. So just go to rosenpodcast.com to find those. Um, or just search China Clay Memoirs on Google or YouTube and you will find it. It's a whole hour and a half long, so a lot more than we've been able to cover here today. And moving away from the world of China clay into the world of food, um, it's Jenny Deal from Tregony again this week with our recipe. And this time with a great recipe if you've run out of flour. And if you have run out of flour, then Debarra are delivering flour and you can order via their website, which is debarra.co.uk. Um, and again, we put a link to that on the show notes at rosenpodcast.com. Anyway, here's the recipe. Right. This is very useful if flour is in short supply and I've had trouble getting hold of flour. So I expect other people have as well. But if you've got some leftover bread and you've got a machine to turn it into breadcrumbs, a food processor or something, that's what you need. So you want 125 grams of soft breadcrumbs, 125 uh, grams of ground almonds or other ground nuts. I mean, you can buy almonds ready ground, but other nuts you might have to grind in your food processor. 50 grams of melted butter, 
and 125 grams of flaked almonds or pine nuts or chopped hazelnuts. Again, that's ad adaptable. And half a teaspoon of dried mixed herbs and one crushed clove of garlic. So you mix all this together to form a sort of pastry type consistency. Obviously, it won't hold together quite as well as pastry, but you press it down into a shallow dish to form a case uh, and you bake it and it gets quite crispy. So you bake it in a hot oven for 15 minutes until it's crisp and golden. When it's cooked, you can then fill it with, for example, sliced mushrooms in a white sauce or leeks or any leftover bits of vegetables, carrots, peas, some onion, all in a white sauce. Put it into the flan case and pop it into the oven. You can decorate the top with tomatoes and heat it through for about 10 minutes. And again, that's a nice main meal with a salad. In these difficult times, it uses up everything that's left over. Right now, I've got one more recipe from Jenny ready to broadcast, but I could do with a few more to give us a bit, bit more variety, maybe, or even maybe some cocktail recipes. We'd be totally up for those, as well as recipes for other foods. If you've got one you'd like to share, please get in touch with us via rosenpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can come on and read it out yourself, or I can read it out for you, whatever's best for you. Now, as well as being on the lookout for more recipes, we're also always on the lookout for more people to interview because a podcast is a hungry thing. It eats up, it gobbles up interviews. So if you would like to come on the show and talk about your group, your hobbies, your job, tips you've got for coping with lockdown or pretty much anything that's vaguely Rosen related, uh, we are interested. If we can manage to get it up to two interviews every single show, that would be amazing. So it really is a case of the more the merrier at the moment on the interviews front. The first step, if you want to do that, is to drop us an email to rosenpodcast at gmail.com with your ideas and any questions that you've got for us. Then we'll get back, answer your questions and get you booked in. Everything we do is recorded in advance. We can edit lots. And as you know, because you're listening, it's audio only. So you don't have to go through hair and makeup or rearrange your bookcases or anything like that. And in fact, you don't even have to be willing to come on the show. If you've got something that uh, we can read out for you, please do send it in. Likewise, if you want to record it yourself um, at home and then send us in the recording, we can also work with that too. Oh, anyway, I hope you've enjoyed uh, what's been our 10th episode. Yes, 10 whole episodes out there now. Very cool. We've reached double figures. And I hope that everything we're doing with the podcast is just helping us all feel a little bit more connected um, and a little bit more of a peninsula community during these these weird old times we're living in at the moment. If you want to hear the rest of the shows, then do make sure you bookmark rosenpodcast.com. We put a new one live every Saturday. And look out for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or usual podcast app of choice, and you can subscribe there. And then you'll get alerted every time we put a new new episode live. There will be no escape. For now, though, be kind and stay safe. <laughs>